0: Uh one of the things that I've been exploring recently, and I haven't done a deep dive by any means. Um, um, read a couple books and listened to a few YouTube things, but one of the things I've been opening up to more and looking at more is this whole UFO UAP um phenomenon. UFOs, UFO abductions it's interesting they're calling them UAPs now. I have a theory about that that I'll get into. And uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I definitely had this sort of initial idea when people would talk about aliens, alien races, alien encounters, c- contact. I, I still had sort of my childhood 1970s, 1980s, Star Trek, Star Wars <coughs> ideas. Um. Uh, or close encounters of the third kind. So it was was a uh, idea about aliens and UFOs that was contained strictly within a scientific materialist model. And I'm going to keep coming at this sort of discussion about materialism versus idealism or worldviews because it's so super important to how we experience the world, and I'll talk about that some more, but my point is, I had this idea that these beings came from spaceships from millions of light years away, that somehow they discovered the secret to going, you know, at warp speed, faster than the speed of light, or um, I think was it 2001 A Space Odyssey, I can't remember where they, like, go into a deep freeze, sleep or whatever while they're traveling so that they don't age, or... um, Mm. uh you know, they figured out how to find a wormhole or bend time and space, and then you know somehow what intuitively they knew that Earth contained life, like um you know how how does all this how does all this fit and how does all this work but that that was the idea that I had, but after researching it a little bit more, like I said, reading a couple of books um Reading, uh, and listening to what I would consider to be reputable podcasts <laughs> and YouTubes and things like this, you, YouTube channels, some stuff that some friends had sent me, watching some of the work that Stephen Greer has done in his documentaries. I've discovered that it's not at all, uh, oh, and, and then listening to some of the stuff that, uh, was in the hearings, uh, the disclosure hearings and um, the way they language some stuff, which I find really interesting. And what I discovered is that most of these UFO encounters, in fact, I think Edgar Mitchell's group, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell, his group um, did a survey, I think the largest one of its kind, where they surveyed some 4,500 people who professed to have – had these encounters and, um, 95% of them came back and said that these encounters were positive and influenced their lives in a good, in a, in a spiritual way. They were positive and influenced their lives in a spiritual way. And so what I'm beginning to discover and those of you that have more knowledge about this than I do, please feel free to, uh, comment in the comment section. And, um, so, What I discovered was that these things, while there is a physical component to the phenomena, in other words, you know, we've seen, like, the little tic-tac videos. (laughs) I call them tic-tac videos. But, anyway, those little tic-tac videos where the ship, you know, kind of moves around and does all that weird stuff, you know, that's been filmed or it's been seen by Navy pilots and things like that. People have seen, you know, UFOs or 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 UAPs flying in the sky. so I'm not, I'm not saying there's no component, but there's also sort of this telepathic component. I mean, almost every account that I've heard of or read, the beings are not speaking. that, that, that So in other words, you may have like a physical abduction where you're physically taken or seemingly physically taken taken into a ship or whatever. And there may be beings like the little gray aliens or... um Whatever maybe, <clears throat> whatever it is, that communicate with you, but they communicate with you via telepathic communications. I say they have to learn English, right? So in almost every case, there's telepathic communication that's happening. And then there is this thing, I think it's called uh, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, Fourth Kind, Fifth Kind, where People are contacted by aliens strictly on a mental level through meditation and things of this nature. And I think of course, you know, in the new age movement, I didn't really get into it, but I heard about the Palladians and heard about, uh, other types of, uh, alien species or whatever that people were connected to the Arcturians. Um, you know, there's the concept out there of, of star seeds that some of us are part of uh, you know a higher race of being that then gets seeded into uh, planet Earth, uh born as a human being to help raise and elevate the consciousness of humanity. I mean, all that stuff's out there in the New Age movement. And then of course there's the channeled works of Ra and the Law of One and all the information that's in there. And it, Plan on spending so much time on UFOs. Anyway, what I'm saying is is that I did not realize that there was this tele, sort of telepathic component to uh, extraterrestrial um, encounters. Now, I want you to notice the subtle language changes in this um, disclosure that has been happening on Capitol Hill and in the news. Forever, <clears throat> I mean this is almost a Mandela effect. <laughs> if I didn't know better, I think it was a Mandela effect. Because forever in my history of my life, <laughs> since watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind in the movie theater as a child when it came out, people have talked about UFOs. Unidentified, flying, Objects. I want to put the emphasis <clears throat> on the O, unidentified flying objects. Now, they're calling it UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, unidentified aerial phenomena. So it goes from unidentified flying object to unidentified aerial phenomena. Now, if you're in this group, I'd encourage you to go read a post that I put up last night about uh, mistranslation. I, I think I put, you know, uh, mistranslation, it's not just in the Bible. And I talk about, very briefly, this idea of semantics and how important words are and how important precise language is if you want to be understood by someone and if you want to understand someone. That is what we look at in this group is on a very high level of abstraction. Uh, what I mean by that, like even in the church, when I was in the church, if I were to say to somebody, man, the glory of God was in the service this morning. Well, whenever you hear a word, no matter what word it is, your brain has to do what's called a transderivational search to come up with meaning based upon your experience so that you can understand the message that's being sent to you, so that you can understand what's being said. And I would just encourage you to go read that, because I talk about semantics there and how important semantics are. In these situations, and especially when the government starts messing with semantics, you know that there's something up, because they're redefining something by changing a simple word. So to go from the word to object to from. Unidentified flying object to unidentified aerial phenomena to go from object to phenomena. It's a, su- it's a subtle shift, but it's really pertinent to the things I've been discussing on this channel. And then. So three things that I noticed, they changed it from UFO to unidentified aerial phenomena. And then the second thing is, is we've gone from talking about extraterrestrials to. Non-human intelligence. I think that's how they say it, non-human intelligence. Extraterrestrial, terrestrial, terrestrial, to non-human intelligence. And then more and more this theory is being espoused that these beings did not come here or not coming here, making contact with us, by coming from a far away distant planet as much as by coming through in a different sort of dimensional gateway, I guess. The the way they're saying it is they're implying that these beings exist on a higher plane or a higher dimension uh, rather than within the confines of our 3D perceptions of time and space. And there's even been implications that have come from governmental officials that our conscious participation... Uh, l- l- let me let me retract that. That consciousness is key to how these things are happening. In other words, the movements that that little tic tac thing is able to do, which seem to defy anything that we know in human technology, is because they're tapping into a realm that involves consciousness, a realm that involves mind. So regardless, when you look at all of the ways that these things are described, there is definitely a component of the physical and the material, I'm not denying that. There may be crashed aircrafts. There may be uh, non-human biological material uh, that you know, the government's keeping and whatever. I'm not disputing any of that. But I also want to emphasize and highlight, because I think a lot of people miss this, that there is also a consciousness and spiritual component for people when they encounter these things. There's telepathic communications. Oftentimes, when people are abducted, they report that they see uh, people who have passed on, that there is uh, dead people, dead loved ones or whatever, that are also part of these encounters. And so it's really interesting to me how this this fits with the conversations that we've been having. Now, why would they change it from unidentified flying object to unidentified aerial phenomena? Think about it. What's the difference between an object and a phenomena? Object phenomena. The word object insinuates scientific materialism it's an object out there the word phenomena allows for something to be an object but it's a larger term it's a more inclusive term and it suggests that there are phenomena that we see in the sky that are not necessarily objects say that again it suggests it leaves the door open for them to be objects, but it suggests that what people experience is a phenomenon that is other than objects. So, in other words, when I talk about the supernatural here and I try to discuss it with people who are very scientific or atheist or rationalist, um, then uh, and, and they say, "Well, you can't." prove these things we talk about phenomena we talk about you know like if i were to say you know i prayed for somebody last week and they Uh, got healed when I prayed for them or I ministered to someone last week and they got healed when I ministered to them, they'd say that's anecdotal. Well, it's not anecdotal if it happens over and over and over again to thousands of people. It's definitely not anecdotal if it's ubiquitous to every culture of the world since forever, things like visions and dreams and precognitions and telepathic communications and out-of-body experiences and miracles and signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff exists in almost every ancient tradition of the world, even the ancient Greek philosopher uh, Pythagoras uh, was said to have worked miracles and things of this nature, the Egyptian priests etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and so on and so I think the, the uh, it 's interesting because we talk about that as phenomena, so that opens the door to phenomena now the term extraterrestrial implies something not of this earth, extraterrestrial, terrestrial Terrestrial meaning the earth, right? So an extraterrestrial is an alien that comes from outside the earth. But notice they're talking now about non-human intelligence rather than ETs. It's an important distinction. It's the same distinction, right? Because extraterrestrial means they absolutely came from outer space. Non-human intelligence implies that they did not come from outer space. Now, it doesn't close the door, just like unidentified aerial phenomena does not close the door uh, on it being an object. Calling it non-human intelligence does not close the door on it being from outer space. But both of these subtle shifts in language are implying that something else is going on, and that this something else that's going on is implying it's happening in consciousness And therefore, that consciousness, not materialism, consciousness, not matter, phenomena, not objects, may be primary and fundamental in the universe. So I went down this rabbit hole here. (laughs) And I I really do like to get uh, academic opinions uh, on stuff. I, I really do. And it's not because I'm intellectual and it's not because it's my temperament I it, it, believe me, I had to become disciplined in, in um, academia. <laughs> I was the least likely to succeed in my high school class. Just ask anybody that knew me back then so um so I just i I appreciate because I know that I'm dealing with someone who at least has parameters and has training in critical thinking. So, I went down this rabbit hole with a very large book of academic papers that have been published on paranormal phenomena, including UFOs, UAP, alien abduction, stuff like that. But it also deals very heavily, delves into the philosophical reasons or the um, nature of reality, the ontological reasons. And so, hopefully this part doesn't get boring for you guys. I, I feel like it's important. Um, <clears throat> says, is consciousness primary, a brief history of idealism? And this is by Ray Hernandez, who is PhD. Um, and So let me identify (coughs) what we mean when we ask the question. I'm going to read some quotes and stuff from this (coughs) article and then comment on it. But is consciousness primary? A brief history of idealism. So to identify terms, idealism is the philosophical belief that all is mind. (coughs) Now, again, I want to encourage you to go back. (laughs) If you're watching this and you're in the New Day uh, Global Group, Please go back and read what I wrote about semantics and the importance of words. Because even just talking about mind, when I say that, or consciousness, when I say that, that's an abstraction that you may attribute something else to other than what I mean. But for a philosophical idealist, that's basically what we're saying. All is mind. All is consciousness. Uh, Matter is part of what is mind. Mind. Now, there's a couple different ways of looking at this. There is the dualism of Rene Descartes. This is I think, therefore I am, who drew a strong distinction between the objects out there, materialism out there, and the experience of the self in here. And I've talked about that quite a bit. That would be... uh, Idealism with dualism. In other words, there are two things happening that are separate from one another. There's the object out there. There's the consciousness in here. Two things that are happening. They're not one thing. They're not together. They're two separate things. And they can be studied and understood separately. But one probably has more importance than the other, or one is more objective and ontologically real, and by that, because we're stuck in Western scientific presuppositions, we assume that's the material world out there, even though everything that we experience, even our theories and ideas and observations about the material world, we experience at the level of consciousness. Okay, so there's the dualism of Rene Descartes, but there's also what's called uh Monistic uh, idealism, which says that all is mind and material, what we, what we perceive as material, is also an aspect of mind. And so that's kind of what's being discussed here in this paper. Um, it starts out, it opens up, it says, it seems that the further we go back in human history, the less we are constrained by the materialist, Physicalist and dualist worldviews that describe the nature of our reality and consciousness. The further back we go in human history, the more we discover early human cultures and philosophical worldviews held that our physical external reality was inseparable from their views of the inner mind world. The mind, the spirit, world, or the afterlife were seen as one phenomenon. There was no separation from the physical reality. There was no separation between our external physical reality and our consciousness-based internal reality because they were both derived from one source, a universal mind. This position in philosophy is called idealism. Idealism is a form of monism that holds that consciousness and not matter is fundamental, and that consciousness is the source of all reality. I'm going to say it again. Consciousness and not matter is fundamental. It is, it, is, it is fundamental. And that consciousness is the source of all reality, what he calls in this paper the universal mind. Now, this is super important to everything that we're talking about because if consciousness is fundamental, Then there's no reason to believe or even question or doubt that there is existence after death of these physical bodies. That after our physical body dies, that there is existence. To believe that there's not an existence after death, to be able to say where death is, I am not, and where I am, death is not, which is a common mantra of the new atheists, is to really dogmatically and believe that physicality and material materialism is all that there is, that this body is all that there is, that my mind is a complete byproduct of what is happening in my brain. So, therefore, when the brain dies, the consciousness goes away. But if consciousness is fundamental and not material, materialism, uh, let's see, that consciousness and not matter is fundamental and that consciousness is the source of all reality, then there's good reason to believe that there is existence before we came into these bodies, that we have an existence prior to this, and that there is an existence that goes on after this. Gets into this a little bit more. And I'm not going to read the whole article. There's just um some stuff that I wanted to uh, highlight here. Um he says today many academics in numerous fields such as those in theoretical physics, astrophysics, neuroscientists, mathematicians, biologists, medical doctors, philosophers, psychologists and he says medical doctors again including many psychiatrists hold the hypothesis that consciousness is primary and that our physical world is a manifestation of consciousness and not our physical reality. This approach holds that our physical reality is an illusion and that we are living in a greater reality. Let's begin this discussion with the ancient shamanic traditions. So he talks about shamanism, and he says this about shamanism. Shamanism is a religious practice where the practitioner holds the belief that he or she is interacting with the spirit world through what we now call altered states of consciousness. For example, by way of a trance-like state. Almost all ancient and current indigenous cultures around the world, from Eskimos to North American and South American native cultures, to indigenous cultures in Europe, Asia, and Africa, all of these groups shared some commonalities of shamanism. I've made that. I've made that point before. Let's see. Uh, then he says in an altered state of consciousness, the shaman moves from the earthly realm into the transcendental or spiritual realm, a higher dimensional realm, which is perceived as the true realm of reality. So anybody that gone into, uh, Carlos, uh, Castaneda and the writings of Don Juan and stuff like that was kind of brought, these shamanic ideas were kind of brought into pop culture through those books. And uh, I think those were written in the seventies. Um, just a few comments again i can't see the names on all of these um, somebody says wow uh, amazing how changing a, a few words changed all the belief of it yeah your breakdown between ufo and uap is nothing short of brilliant thank you very much uh, that is my own by the way i didn't get that um i started that's one of the reasons i started exploring this whole thing says so that you're doing great, that you've included Mitchell, the hearings and others, yes, telepathy, so cool. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's keep going. Um, oh, yeah, this is really important. Um, he's quoting Jeffrey, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove uh, in his book, The Roots of Consciousness, and he says, certain sh- Shamanistic conceptions suggest that our past thoughts and our minds have never left our body for the simple fact that they have always been outside of our body and brain. They do not need to emerge from inside because they have never been inside. <clears throat> the shamanic initiation <clears throat> makes the trainee simply aware that the mind and consciousness are outside and above, and they have always been so. The initiation practices reawaken a corresponding state of consciousness that gives the living awareness of the vision and that the brain body evolved out of consciousness. So what he's saying here is he's saying that in shamanic traditions, what they were taught was that consciousness was not located anywhere within the body at all. That uh, your thoughts, let's see, how does he say it? Past thoughts, minds, emotions, feelings, sensations, all that stuff, uh, that, that would belong to the imaginal realm, um, don't exist inside of you. They exist on a higher plane. And then the key to accessing that information is to have a core, is to be put into a altered state of consciousness that corresponds with that level. So um, and I think that's super important to this stuff. I think that's why some people Get results and why others. I had somebody e- email me this week and ask <clears throat> again. They, they said, "I saw some of your videos, and I saw the one you did on the supernatural. And I'm very curious about it because I was constantly asking for a sign. I was constantly asking for wonder from God, something that would, you know, if I could see Jesus in a vision, if I could see an actual miracle, if I could experience something." on this plane an intervention from a higher plane that I could definitely say was supernatural, then I would believe, you know, then I would believe. And yet here you are, someone who, you know, has a history of supernatural phenomena happening in your ministry and in your life. And you're not, here a non-believer. Like it just, you could see like the, it blew the computer circuits. Right. And so I wrote back to this person and I said, you know, uh, In in the Great Commission, at least the way Mark records what Jesus said, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll lay hands on the sick, they'll drink poison, it won't hurt them, get bit by serpents, it won't hurt them, they'll lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. And then in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, there's, uh as they're testifying, God is confirming his word with very powerful demonstrations of the resurrection and very powerful demonstrations of signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles to confirm the word, to confirm that the preaching is true. So if we take those two things seriously, then isn't the lack of signs and wonders proof that what we were believing back then wasn't true? If I mean, you can't have it both ways. I know I'm getting on a rabbit hole here, but I feel like I need to go here for a minute. Um, you can't have it both ways. like. Like, how is it that you can say, you know, if I get a sign, I will believe, but then how come the lack, in, in other words, if I get a sign, not if I get a sign, I will believe. If there are signs and wonders that go with this, then it must be true, but yet then wouldn't that also mean the lack of signs and wonders means that it's completely false? And so a big part of the reason that people in churches didn't get results is because they weren't altering the state of consciousness and accessing the universal mind. They were praying to a God outside of them that was separate from them or other than them that was a anthropomorphized version of God that was an ancient anthropomorphized version of God that belonged to the Jews and to Israel and then <coughs> was inherited by Christianity. Whereas shaman could get results way before Christianity. And there were other signs and wonders workers around the same time of Jesus. But the ancient understanding, at least as far as my studies are showing me, is that. Um, I lost my train of thought for a second. Oh, is that all this stuff is is in a dimension of consciousness, but you have to alter the, the, you you have to get into a corresponding state of consciousness in order to access it. And once you can access it, then you have access to the universal mind and this stuff becomes really possible. And so it's exciting for me to see this group, uh, of these essays and stuff where these academics are coming and many of them skeptics at first, many of them that had their own encounters and then had to try and make sense out of them. Uh, talking about these same things and providing a rational, intellectual, reasonable explanation that explains not only matter, but it explains rather than dismisses, uh, extrasensory perceptions, paranormal experiences, parapsychology and things of this nature. So anyway, but I get it, you know, like trying to convince somebody, uh, and, and it doesn't matter to me. I'm not like, you know, have to convert people to this way of thinking, but for people like me uh it's exciting to it's an exciting time to live and I, I think we're seeing an exciting shift so anyway moving on um so he talks about shamanism then he goes in and he talks about the uh Vedanta and upanish upanishads I think I'm saying that right I did have to study comparative religion I had quite a i actually had a minor secular minor in comparative religion um so let's see if there's anything I uh I just highlighted here he says uh, we are one within the mind of God the Supreme Being in other words, he's saying this is what the Upanishads teach in other words, our material reality is an illusion or Maya and there exists a universal mind that we are sub that we are a subset of, Hence the term consciousness is primary. I argue that this ancient Vedic tradition has provided the most detailed and elaborated discussion of human consciousness that enables us to understand our relationship to a larger context where consciousness is presented as more central than material existence to the nature, composition, and processes comprising all of reality. I am comfortable in declaring that in my opinion the Vedic tradition was the ascended point in human history concerning our study and understanding of the nature of consciousness. That's Dr. Hernandez speaking there. Then he goes into the Buddhist tradition. Ah, uh, one of the main uh, contributions of Buddhism, the world exists because of causal actions. The word karma translates to cause. The world exists because of causal actions. All things are produced by causal actions. And all beings are governed and bound by causal actions. They are fixed like the rolling wheel of a cart, so you can think of the wheel of fortune card in Tarot, fixed by its pin of its axle shaft. That's the only thing I've highlighted there. Then he goes into the ancient Egyptian tradition. He says one can also argue, uh, ancient Egyptians also held a view that consciousness is primary. The ancient Egyptian view of consciousness can be traced as far back as 5,000 B.C., where we learn about their obsession with death and the afterlife, which is central to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Similar to the shamanic and Vedic traditions, ancient Egyptians were more concerned with the inner or transcendental, transcendental realm of consciousness and spirit than their concern with physical reality. So give me one second. And, again, just if you're tuning in late, I'm quoting a scholarly article, uh, the title of which is Consciousness Primary, A Brief History of Idealism, uh, by Dr. Ray Hernandez. Then he goes into the Greek and Roman tradition, talks about the Delphic Oracle. Uh, and the ancient Greeks, actually, and ancient Greek philosophers were really into this sort of altered state of consciousness stuff. Um he says, uh, he quotes here, Hernandez quotes again, uh, Dr. Mishlov and says, uh, Dr. Mishlov states of Pythagoras that he was something like a shaman who in ecstasy made contact with worlds beyond, end quote. Plato, the main student of Socrates, held many of the beliefs previously held by the Indian Vedic traditions. He taught that each of us has a divine soul that survives physical death and reincarnates as it continues to perfect itself. He conceptualized consciousness as a property of such a soul, a property that is different from the physical body associated with it. For Plato, our material reality was an illusion similar to the Vedic concept of Maya. In his famous allegory, I talked about this last week, in his famous allegory of the cave, in Plato's work, The Republic, Plato uses Socrates to illustrate a group of people who are living chained to a wall of a cave all of their lives facing a blank wall. These individuals watch shadows projected onto the wall from the fire behind them. Socrates describes these shadows as the reality of these prisoners because they do not see underlying reality. These shadows are not representations of the real world. Plato argues that which we are preoccupied only with the shadow level is within a greater level I'm sorry, is within a greater reality, and that this greater reality is responsible for the secondary shadow world that it generates. Uh, Then he talks about Plotinus. For Plotinus, who was another ancient Greek philosopher who really had a lot of influence on Western thinking, for Plotinus, as well as ancient Egyptians, the best way to get knowledge about our reality is by transcending one's own bodily and sensory constraints and interacting with altered states of consciousness, which promote a mystical union with source or the mind of God. Then he talks about the shift to the, the, to the Cartesian dualism, which I already kind of explained. So I'm going to pass that up neuroscience and explaining what is believed to be consciousness. Um, He's talking about the materialist view here. The, phys- the physicalist approach, this physicalist approach, views that consciousness begins and ends with our physical brain. When we die, our brain dies, and thus our human consciousness dies. And then he starts to go into how there is uh, this idea of monism. So monism means one thing. So what he's proposing as a theory of everything is that everything is mind, that there is no duality between mind and matter, uh, that matter is just a level of mind that we experience. And uh, let's see. So, yeah, he says this theory provides a model to explain consciousness-based aspects of our reality, but also the physical-based aspects of our physical reality. This theory can explain why the UFO experiencer is seeing tens of thousands of different, quote-unquote, physical beings. These perceived physical beings are not coming from tens of thousands of physical planets and visiting us, usually for less than one minute. Instead, these tens of thousands of diverse physical beings might be holographic projections from an external consciousness-based reality. This theory can provide a model of why. When you are having an out-of-body experience or an astral travel experience, everything seems very physical to you, but yet you know you are not on planet Earth, but in some other non-earthly realm. In summary, this physical model, in my opinion, is the best model to explain the paranormal experiences via what he calls the contact modalities that so many of us are experiencing. So some really, really good stuff there. Yeah. So, so then he he, he quotes uh Dr. Jeffrey Kripke, who um, uh, chairs the philosophy department at Rice University. He says uh, Dr. Kripke considers himself an adherent of the dual aspect monist approach. I'll explain some of this in a minute to the question of what is consciousness, and as an explanation for the contact modalities, Dr. Kripke uses the filter thesis of noted theorist William James. Who argued that the body and the brain do not produce consciousness, <clears throat> but the brain actually works to keep it out? James proposed the filter theory of consciousness, a theory that argues that the brain filters out consciousness itself. The following is an explanation of the individuals, an explanation for individuals who have never had any experience via the conduct modalities or any paranormal experience. The filter thesis argues that the brain is like a concrete wall. It prevents you from having these experiences. For others who have had near-death experiences, UFO contact experiences, astral travel experiences, etc., because of their experiences, your brain becomes more porous, and information from our greater reality filters into our individuated consciousness. For these, and he puts it in quotes, special individuals, They are able to tap into the information stored in the universal mind of God and we are able to experience the diverse contact modalities. I love that explanation because that's what I've been, was trying to say. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say about, uh, why I was able, for whatever reason, to tap into a lot of supernatural experiences. Uh, they were both subjective and objective. Uh, I mean, we had things that would materialize out of thin air that objective people, everybody in the room could see, but it was coming from and through uh, a realm of altered state of consciousness, really, to be honest. I probably shouldn't have thrown that out there, gone into that. Um, and then other people say, well, I knew faithful believers and I knew people who prayed and and God never answered their prayers or I was asking for a sign and a wonder so that I could believe and I never got a sign or a wonder to believe in and how come it worked for you and how come it didn't work for me. And so what Dr. Kripal and others here, um, what Dr. Hernandez is saying as he's quoting Dr. Kripal and William James and others is this filter theory of consciousness that says that the brain is a receiver and a filter of information. So you can think about it this way. If I turn on a radio station, if I want to listen to the Bronco game, say, for example, because I'm a Bronco fan, because I grew up in Colorado, you know, and we have orange sunsets out here. <laughs> anyway, just a little Colorado humor. Uh, but, um, see, now I'm thinking about the Broncos. If I were going to listen to the Bronco game on the radio station, I would turn it to uh, 8.50 a.m. on the dial. 8.50 a.m. on the dial. But now, to say the 8.50 a.m. on the dial is the full spectrum of radio stations that I can receive. Those radio signals are here, all of them. And this is what I think the scientific materialist does. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's reductionistic. I think the scientific materialist, and in some case the atheists, because they kind of run in pairs, Locks on to one radio station and says, this is it. This is the only radio station that exists. Okay. Now, setting that aside, when you use the filter theory, what's happening is, is you're tuning into a signal that is outside of the radio itself. I'm going to say it again. The, the radio is just a receiver, right, that is tuning into a signal, a consciousness, a wave of thought, talk radio, a football game. Music, whatever it may be, but that it has an existence that is (coughs) complete, excuse me, that is completely independent of the radio or the receiver itself. And so what you're doing is you're tuning into that frequency and at the same time you're filtering it out. So one of the problems with AM stations is that the signal goes down at night. So if I'm listening to 850 talk radio, then pretty soon at a certain time of night, and a uh, certain places, especially if I'm driving around, I start getting Spanish music over the top. <laughs> Prior to that, the Spanish music was filtered out. But now I'm hearing talking at a certain time of night, I'm listening to this talk radio show, and I'm hearing sort of a blending of uh Mexican music in the background. Now, if you don't use a regular radio, because everything you do is, you know, Spotify and all that stuff, some of the younger generation, you may not know what I'm talking about, but those of you that, do, you know what I'm talking about, there's a bleeding over. And so this, to me, is how I would explain to someone the filter theory of consciousness. That consciousness, like radio waves, all of it, exists outside of us, and our brains then are the physical receivers for consciousness, and we filter most of it out. So let me, with that in mind, let me say this again. William James proposed the filter theory of consciousness, a theory that argues that the brain filters out consciousness itself. The following is an explanation for individuals who have never had any experience with the supernatural. He says via contact modalities, but I'm going to fill in what he's talking about. Or any paranormal experience. The filter thesis argues that the brain is like a concrete wall. It prevents you from having these experiences. For others who have had these experiences, and he lists them, because of their experiences, your brain becomes more porous and information from our greater reality filters into our individuated human consciousness. For these individuals, they are able to tap into the information stored in the universal mind. So it's like the bleeding over of uh, stuff. (laughs) so so in other words most people are just tuned to the talk radio station and that's all they got and so they're tuned into this physical world and it's a concrete wall what they're saying is a concrete wall and it's designed this way to filter out any information that comes from these higher planes of conscious reality which he calls the universal mind so it's filtering it out it's blocking it out and then for others you know There's ways of penetrating through that wall, and once you've penetrated through that wall, it becomes porous. So now, you're still listening to the talk radio, but you got some Mexican music playing (laughs) in that background. You got some telepathic stuff going on, you got some paranormal stuff. That's why it happens more frequently to people, uh, to some people, it happens over and over and over again throughout their lives, and to others, it doesn't. Now, for those of you that say, oh, wow, I really want to be that person, let me just throw a couple of uh things to caution you out there before you run out and go on an ayahuasca retreat or um, do uh shamanic journeys or something to try to break through that concrete wall. Um, that, that That's not necessarily a good thing. I, I can tell you this from my own personal life and from my study of these things and from working and mentoring people in this area for over 30 years. In almost every case, people who have a strong propensity towards this bleeding over, this porousness in the wall, it seems that that can be caused. One of the things that causes that, can be significant childhood trauma. Significant childhood trauma, significant psychological trauma, very much can break down that wall and open a door to extrasensory, what we would call extrasensory perceptions, what he calls contact modalities, access to the universal mind. Trauma definitely can be one of those factors. So before you go out seeking this, know that. Second thing I would say, and I'm very serious about this, is sanity is at stake. I'm going to say it again. You want to go on this journey, your sanity is at stake. Absolutely true. Um, So this, you know, like like one of the things that would qualify you or disqualify you in ancient mystery schools uh, in the Kabbalah, in the Merkava mysticism of the ancient, the, the chariot mysticism, the throne mysticism of the ancient Hebrew tradition, um, is you had to be... So to learn mysticism as a Jewish person, you had to be, I think, over 40 years of age. You had to be married, and you had to be very psychologically stable. You have to have... A psychologically stable personality, if you don't, your cheese is probably going to fall off its cracker. You start messing with this stuff, honestly, honestly. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have psychological issues and and experience this stuff and open portals in your mind and consciousness to this stuff, but I'm going to tell you, man, I've seen people really, really, really go nuts with this stuff. I mean, like, really, genuinely go insane. So you have to stay grounded. Um. If you have certain kinds of mental illnesses, you just flat out would be disqualified in ancient mystery schools. And that's not a mean thing, and that's not to say there's something wrong with you. Now, I would not say you need to be disqualified from this stuff, but I would say there's a difference between having mental situations and illnesses and addressing those. So one thing I would say, if you want to begin this journey, you really have to get to know yourself you really got to get to know yourself. you really got to do the work. And if you have anxiety, own it. If you have depression, own it. If you have personality imbalances, if you have mood swings, own it. One of the most dangerous things, or one one thing that I see over and over again, is that people with undiagnosed and untreated bipolar disorders would really gravitate towards the supernatural really gravitate towards the spiritual, and that's a really dangerous thing because there can be psychotic features that are featured into bipolar disorder. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if the brain is filtering consciousness and your brain is unhealthy, and by that I mean you have a genuine chemical imbalance, then or the personality is unhealthy or unstable, then you need to address those things you need to own those things and then address them get some psychiatric treatment get some counseling treatment whatever it is that you have uh, available to you or access to you so that you make sure that you are stabilized before you start messing with this stuff so those those are some uh, cautions that i would that i would put out there but i think this provides and this is why i wanted to share this with you guys and this is kind of where i want to close i think this provides Really solid intellectual territory for us to be on, very grounded, very stable it 's important to stay stabilized because these experiences can be very, very destabilizing to uh, personality and to life in lots of ways so um, so that 's my take on that, but this idea of the filter model of consciousness, which by the way, I was familiar with before, um, because of reading. Uh, Jewish Kabbalistic material going all the way back to 2012 or 13. Um, there's a book out, um, I'll have to get the name of the author, but he's a, a Kabbalistic author from I think the 20th century, I don't think he's contemporary, um, on biblical meditation, the Bible and meditation, and talks about the ancient idea of meditation was to um, be able to bypass the filter that the problem is, and that's why we talk about expanded consciousness, right? So all these radio signals or all these conscious ideas and stuff are coming here, but we're narrowing it down, right? We're narrowing it down to physical reality. We're narrowing it down to what we call our ego, which is another misunderstood term, I think, but I think we can find a good ex- good working explanation for this stuff uh, using the idealist monist model. Now, they do... Um, Talk about in this in this thing, and I'll get into it maybe down the road, but I'll leave you with this. They do talk about um, a mind and body split, but not in the way of a Cartesian dualism. Not that there's a thing out here and then there's something else in here and they're completely separate and we have to study them separately. What they're saying is that everything is mind, all is mind, everything is consciousness, even material world is consciousness. Itself. But they recognize, and they use a really big term here, that there are two, so ontologically, remember I said ontology means the nature of something. So they say ontologically, all is one. Epistemologically, or how we, or how we experience knowledge, there is a dualism. So, In its nature, it's all one thing, but in our experience of it, in the way that we gain knowledge about it, it's two, matter and mind or matter and consciousness. So I'll tease you with that. Leave it at that. Sorry for having myself on mute for the first few minutes of this. If you made it all the way to the end of this and got past that part, I'll have to go into the descriptions, I guess, and edit them so people know where to fast forward through to. Thank you. Um, Let's just look at some of the comments here that I can see, Wichita Lineman 46 says, make no mistake, the government is driving and controlling the UAP situation, yeah, I don't doubt that at all, what are ways you shift into this consciousness, we can, I'll get into that, um, that's one of the things I'm going to get into in the new year, um, is uh, I plan on creating a, a separate group, um, from within the New Day Global Group that is interested in learning some of these things. And uh, so, yeah, creating some content for that as well. Um, Source of this reading, please. Title of the book, that's a great thing I should probably do. Um, I might put it in the descriptions, but Joyce is asking. So, Joyce, I hope you're still on. Um, ah, Come on. I turned off my iPad. It's called it, <clears throat> the book itself, let's see. It's a, it's a compilation of essays, but the book itself is called A Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, The Paranormal and the Contact Modalities, Volume 1, Theoretical Chapters, and it's edited by uh, a committee of people. It's put out by the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. So there you go. Um, Taoism as well. Yeah, Taoism wasn't covered in the article. Wichita uh, says bingo. You're now now you're sounding like a true modern day mystic. Keep going, brother. Thank you. That's a great compliment, compliment to me. Facebook user says Aldous Huxley. I think I'm saying that right. Shared the same concept in his book Doors of Perception. Talking about the mind at large and the brain being a reducing valve. Uh, Facebook user, again, I can't see your names. This corresponds with my blog posts and videos on radio, cell phones and what they have to do with our consciousness. Someone says you're talking to me. <laughs> sanity, Facebook user, sanity is definitely at stake. At times it is like swimming into a riptide and if you are not Anchored in the knowledge of self, it will drag you out until you drown. Absolutely. So, so this this wall, this barrier is there so that you have a sense of self. Um, you're not you're supposed to have a sense of self. You're supposed to experience yourself as separate. That's part of the what's going on here. And so that's why this can be so dangerous because if you just rip that filter away, you're going to lose that. You're not going to be able to function at all. And there are a lot of people, I think. In, uh, mental institutions and stuff that their real problem is for whatever reason that, that filter just got, just is not working correctly and it's just creating so much confusion for them about reality. Do you feel someone getting healthier mentally could have less supernatural experiences? That, that is a great question. I don't think I could make a blanket statement. I think that has to be in, uh, depends upon the individual. I think there are some individuals, and I was here for a long time. I'm getting back into this because I'm being pushed. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about this. Uh, and it's not any, uh, human intelligence pushing me, and it's not aliens and Palladians and stuff like that, so I don't get that idea either. Um, <clears throat> but I think in my case certainly, uh, operating in that at that level became very toxic to me to my family and to the people around me. It became toxic to the church members as well. And uh, I absolutely needed to just be grounded and I wanted to walk away from all of this, never talk about any of this ever again. But like I said, I just I'm being um, through you know very synchronicities and um, different stuff is all I'll say. I'm being pressed back into service in this area. Um, Very different. Looks very, very different. Going to be very different than what I did before. Um, But, yeah, I think there are some people that just need to flat out let it go. Um, There may be even some people that think that, you know, for them that's an elevation in consciousness. And to go back to that would be almost like backsliding um, because they're just able to let that all go. I think for those people, then certainly they become more mentally healthy. Uh, and that stuff shuts down. I think there are some people that need to be atheists, to be honest with you. Um, I think, you know, for example, um, well, I, I just don't want to make a blanket statement. Um, it's a great question. I hope that made sense. I think for some people that is true, yes. For me, that was certainly true for a while. Um, oh, and that's Joe Machuda that's making those comments. So thanks, Joe. Thanks for commenting on there. Um thank you everybody for joining in on this watching this uh appreciate you if you have not um subscribed to the YouTube channel please do that one of the ways you can support us and help me do this more <laughs> uh is by subscribing to the YouTube channel liking and commenting on the YouTube channel um sharing Uh, the YouTube channel also just watching the ads as they pop up. I know it can be a pain and we all like to skip, but, um, you know, it's not like I'm getting thousands of views on these. I think in the last 28 days on YouTube or something, I made like $33 or something like that, which I'm, which, you know, I'm thankful for, but that's a very little bit return on investment for the effort that I'm putting into this. Uh, and so, you know, we don't have any benefactors, big supporters, anything like that. So if you would kindly consider supporting us, that would be amazing. Um, you know, I could do this and probably eventually will move into more content on a Patreon page or something like that. I'm not planning on doing that anytime soon. I want to keep building this platform for free. Um, so if you want to support us, we do have a link to our non-profit organization, New Day Global, New Day Ministries, the Awakening Center, uh, all doing business as, all the same thing. It's just uh, It's the non-profit we've had since 2002, I think. Um, and so if you want to make a donation to that and support us, that would be amazing. That would be helpful. If you want to consider a monthly uh, contribution, you can sign up for that, too. We do have some people that are doing some monthly contributions and helping us, and I really greatly appreciate that. And so having said that, um, keep your mind towards, uh, you know, January. <clears throat> January, I'm going to um, offer some Zoom calls or some content where we deal specifically more with the mystical and supernatural side of things. Um, I just want to keep building a philosophical foundation for what we're doing in this group. Thank you, everybody. Um, Appreciate and love all of you. Hope that you are doing well, that you're safe, and that your life is improving. How about that? So, I will see you tomorrow night, if you're in the New Day Global Group, on Facebook. If you're watching on YouTube, that link is in my bio. You do have to answer all the questions to be accepted. I keep getting people saying, I came here from the YouTube channel, but you don't answer all the questions um, and then you know we'll talk some more about this uh kind of stuff in my follow up video uh tomorrow at eight p m eastern six p m mountain time all right, I'm out, thanks guys. peace.